On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. This is Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer fueled sports show. There's only so much time we can kill here before we start to spin our wheels. I've had time to run, but I'm still here. your host, Light the candle. Matt Robinson. Watch us while we spin our wheels. Episode 995 of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. As the good woman said, my name is Matt Robinson, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. I have a great guest today. I'm really excited to be doing this. Uh, for those of you local to the Ottawa area, you will recognize this voice from the uh, evening news on CTV. You longtime sports fans like myself will also recognize her from uh, back in the day on The Score. Patricia Bull is here. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. Thank you. Great introduction. I, uh, I did my best, and uh, I didn't turn your mic up. Now it's up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my mic is up, and I couldn't hear anything in the headphones. So we're just, oh my goodness, it was we're doing almost great. as if we've been drinking beer for hours. It already. starts. This is this is great, Matt. You've uh, you've really nailed this. So uh, your headphones should be up as well. Okay, let's see. I'm happy you're here. I'm uh, I, I I've kind of been teasing this for a little while on the show ever since you and I started trading emails, but. For a while, I, I, have, I had said to people that this is somebody I wanted to have on, but I always kind of figured Patricia Bull is not going to come and slum it on your podcast. Come on. It wasn't until uh, we talked to uh, Chris Hoffley, said, no, she will. And, uh, and Steve <laughs> Funda said, She'll, she will. And uh, Steve Lloyd said, no, she will. You got to just send the email. You got to make this You had happen. me at beer. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> are we allowed to tell the people... What you said to me when I I kind of suggested in the first email for guests who aren't into the craft beer thing, we can cut that segment out. Are we allowed to tell the people what you responded with? Uh, I have do you no remember? idea what I responded with, so yeah, go ahead and then you, you <laughs> we'll promi- edit and post if we sure, need to. Sure, yeah. Uh, you promised, don't worry, I won't have more than a dozen. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I will stick to my board. <laughs> <All right. Yeah. laughs> um, thank you very much for coming in. We did have... Uh, have Steve Lloyd here. He had some interesting things to say about you. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh-oh. But uh, we like to start with what we're sipping on tonight. So what did you grab out of the uh, the TCA okay, fridge? Okay, well, um, full disclosure, I grabbed this because the can is purple. Okay. I don't know if I've ever had a beer in a purple can before, which is awesome. Right. This is called the Lake Fever Lager, mm-hmm. the tragically hip Ooh. Lake Fever Are you a fan? Lager. Um, I... I am a fan. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me to name a whole bunch of songs. I'm a casual fan, but 
I work every day beside a massive, massive hip fan in okay. Graham Richardson who loves them. Um, so yeah, so I just took a picture and sent it to him to. So you also said in the jealous. in the green room before we started there, you mentioned that he's also a craft beer. He's also a big craft beer guy. So yeah. I may have to also send him an email here at some point. It seems no, he like... he won't slum it. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely send him an email. He would he would love it. I'm sure. Yeah. So I got one here that uh, is new to me. This is out of uh, Bowmanville, uh, down near where I grew up in Oshawa. So um, it's a scabby leg Irish stout, Irish milk stout. So uh, by the Tilted Glass Brewing Company. This, yeah. like I said, is, is new to me. I've never tried anything from them before. Uh, we were talking before. You were kind of balking at the idea of the stout. Yeah, a little, a little dark for me, a little too much, a little heavy. And I hear that a lot, especially this time of year. But for me... It's always stout season. Like, there's never a bad time to have a stout, but it's not for everybody, so that's all right. My dad would appreciate you. So I I did a trip to Ireland with my dad to meet up with my daughter and her friend a couple of years ago, and my dad was extremely disappointed in both myself and my daughter. We did the, the tour of the Guinness factory and whatnot. We would not... Oh, come on. Drink beyond a little <laughs> taste. in the house of But Guinness. the daughter's friend came through. She liked... Her stout, her dark beer. So the two of them could could drink and we'd, you know, have our IPAs and be happy. So. <laughs> um, I went over, I don't know, years ago now to uh, to Malmo, Sweden, not far from uh, just across the something street, very large body of water to uh, Copenhagen. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where the Carlsberg Brewery is. And so we went over there. We had been there for a week and we decided, you know what, the Carlsberg Brewery, that's where we'll top off the trip. That's what we'll finish on Monday. And uh, so we make our way over there on Monday and uh, it's closed every, oh. uh, every Monday, every, yeah. Monday, every Monday it's closed. And there is a sign that just says, you know, close on Monday, come back tomorrow or whatever. And someone thought to take a picture of these four large Canadian men just standing, looking like, <laughs> like they had just found out there was no oh, Santa or the something. The end of the world. <laughs> like, it's just, a Monday in our... I will never be closed. back in this part of the world. Yeah. And we put it off for a week thinking this will be the topper and... No, nothing. So <laughs> we were in uh, we were in Prince Edward County last year, and we went by a brewery, and I, I can't remember if it was Monday or not, but it was morning. It was nine. We were trying to fit the brewery, <laughs> and before we headed out of town, and it was closed. And I tweeted at them, you know, is this Canada or what? Right. <laughs> can't get a beer at nine o'clock. Exactly. Um, yes, but one more daughter story. Mm. She has a, the other daughter, very good friend in Denmark. So. We're planning to maybe get over there. Okay, well, don't go on point. a Monday. So don't go on a Monday. No. Okay. It's, this is, this is basically useful pe- information. In 2004, anyway, it was every day but Monday. Okay. Was, uh, was worth visiting. So uh, we'll let the good listener know we are on Twitter and Instagram at Talk and Audio. We'd love it if you'd give us a follow there and uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. We are coming up on 1,000 episodes. That's going to be fun. That drops on Monday, August 8th. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, how who, is, who is Guest 1000? So Guest 1000 is actually uh, a series of, uh, we have three kind of rotating co-hosts on this podcast. And uh, they will all be in studio together for the first time uh-huh. on episode 1000 is how nice. we're going to do that. So um, my buddy Rob and I, we we got this up and going in uh, in 2015. And uh, so he's going to be in. He's He's run the long haul with me. And then um, there's a guy named Maddie Lang, who the listeners know quite well, and uh, Michaela Schreider, who hosts She's Got Game here on nice. TSN yep. Radio in Ottawa. She jumped on and, and co-hosts a bunch of episodes throughout the pandemic. So for the first time, we'll get them all in here together uh, in time for Monday, August 8th. I love, I love following Michaela on Twitter. Of course, huge sports fan and a big uh, big proponent of uh, women's yep. sports, right? So yeah, love She's that. terrific. No, and, and she brought a wonderful perspective to this show um, 
you know, from that side of things, right? Opened your eyes to some things that uh, either we weren't watching and should have been or, uh, you know, just a different way of looking at things. So she's been awesome. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure everybody stick around for that. How are the first couple pulls there on the Lake Fever? Okay, I'm just going now. Do we cheers this here? Sure. Well, there's a lot of electric here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dangerous territory. Um, that's one that, uh, that got, I think, in 2020 during the pandemic. I believe they started that. It's with Big Rock. Out Big of, Rock uh, Brewery. I was going to say I didn't even name the brewery. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, delicious. It's not a bad beer. It's um, it's just a straight up lager, and uh, you know, Lake Fever, obviously the name of one of their tunes. Um, Done. <laughs> it's it's great, and it's a nice little beer, especially in the summer. So uh, we mm-hmm. like that. This one's the same. This is uh, exactly what I would expect out of a milk stout. I had two other stouts in there. Both of them were calling themselves a dry stout. Just wasn't what I was looking for here tonight. Okay, so, so. dry stout and milk stout for the unin- uninformed. <laughs> to me, <laughs> what's the difference? The milk stout's just a little sweeter, okay. right? And uh, uh, you can do a lot of things with a with a stout where it's just sort of a base, and you can just because it's so thick and so heavy, you can toss almost anything you want in there and, and see what it comes out like. Um, whereas dry stouts are more traditional, right? Just this is exactly what you expect a dark beer to taste like. And, and they're a milk stout. You can find anything in there. Coconut. Uh, there's a great one out of Whippy I like called the Coconut Cream Pie from mm. the Five Paddles Brewing Company. Okay. And yeah. If, if you've got that heavy base of a stout. You can try some things, right? right. So, uh, so we like that. We like to experiment a little bit, and uh, and so this one's pretty nice. Um, Steve Lloyd was in here for episode nine ninety four, and uh, if people haven't heard that yet, you can go back and check it out. Um, all kinds of uh, news on on sports that's gone on lately: the uh, Matthew Kachuk trade to the Florida Panthers, the Juan Soto trade rumors, all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, you can check that out. But when Steve was in here. Mm-hmm. He mentioned off the top <laughs> that you were the one who had showed him the ropes when he was uh, when he was getting started. He Way was actually when. quite complimentary and uh, had nothing but good things. That was to because say. he was drinking, right? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe we had one or two before yeah. we started. Yeah. Um, could you do the opposite for us? We don't want to hear nice things about Steve Lloyd. What was a young Steve Lloyd like as you were showing oh. him the ropes back in the day? He's been on this show a bunch of times. He doesn't live too far from here. He's He's a friend. He's whatever. We don't want to blow smoke. We... Uh, Steve Lloyd. Okay. Well, I, I got to say some nice things. I mean, he was he was immediately very intense and very driven, I think, and good. And you kind of, because you see a lot of students or interns as people are coming in off, um, you know, time at Algonquin and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, some of them really seem passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, it's the kind of industry where you have to really want it and really be passionate about it because there's a lot of other people who are going to be if you're not sure um so i I knew he was going to be fine uh that way for sure but i i was training him i think just to kind of to use the equipment and whatnot in the cfra newsroom at the time so he was hired as a news guy or that was the direction and i knew he was not happy about that's not where he wanted to be like he did not enjoy going out to cover your basic news stories he knew he wanted to do sports yeah that that was where he wanted to be so that was that was it's not even a knock against him but you know he wasn't the most enthusiastic about the stuff that he was covering initially or that he was assigned to do but he was absolutely sure of uh knowing where he wanted to go and and um 
and my husband, Gord Wilson, who does uh, color commentary on, on um, TSN 1200, I, I remember Steve giving me a tape to give to him of him doing play-by-play or something oh, and sure. just saying, like, give me the feedback and what do I need to do to kind of go this direction in sports and stuff. So, um, and he was good and yeah. it's great. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, what can I say about it? He's, he's, he's still intense, I think, on the air, right? Like he can, can be, tell yeah. certain things. <laughs> this far into it, he's still... Uh, but have... he's, uh, he's great. I call him Sloidzy. Sloidzy, all right. Because I think our login used to be your first letter with your last name, okay, so yeah. Sloyd, Sloyd, and he somehow turned into Sloydsy. So I'll say that casually in conversation, and someone will look at me. Who are you talking about, Sloydsy? Is that? <laughs> Should we double check with him that that's not like his banking password or something yeah, before this? Yeah, maybe, maybe before this goes to air. Yeah, yeah, Sloydsy one two three exactly. exclamation mark. We love Lloyd. He's uh, he's been very good to us over the years. So uh, he's he's a good guy, and uh, you were a little more complimentary than I hoped you would be. But uh, I get it. You, you should have given me warning, and I I would have tried to think of all, story the, or all two. the dirt, and yeah, all the um, arable dirt. Yeah, yeah. I, that's on me. Um, before we get into your career and and some of the things that have been going on lately, uh, I wonder. You know, we we did talk. You have mentioned that. Uh, you know, you're you're not above trying some craft beers. You have a favorite or two in the city, or a brewery or two that you like to visit. Um, someone forces me to get on a bike and go have a drink. Uh, we've done a bike ride to Dominion City, okay, which nice. is yeah. great, and had you know drinks outside, which is lovely. Yes. Um, I, the- I keep referencing Graham, but beer at the turn is his big thing. If you're going to go on a long bike ride, you need to have beer at the turn, so like you stop idea. halfway and yeah. you, you find a beer and. Yeah. Um, but just one, because it's a little tippy on the bike on the way home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. That's right. I'm a little tippy on the bike anyway, so i got to be careful. Okay. Um, Sippy is lovely. I love the people there. They're, we always see them out at events and whatnot, and yeah, it's awesome. There's a lot of great places. There right, is. Right this is a really good area for, you know, over the last few years, places that have blown up and expanded. Uh, the Need a Beer Company near here, they've sponsored us a bunch of times and, and done some things. Broadhead is very good. Uh, Beyond the Pale, Vimy Brewing Company, like Ridge Rocket. There's, mm-hmm. I'm leaving people out, but uh, one one of the beers that was in your fridge that has become a recent favorite that they often have at outdoor festivals and stuff is the uh, Creamore. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, they make some nice stuff too. Especially again, if you're just kind of looking for like that straight up lager, which a lot of uh, you know, hot summer day makes no enemies, right? That's uh, it's a good beer. So and, and good when you're just like you know with popcorn at a game or something, right? right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Am I supposed to move away from the mic when I sit? <laughs> That's totally up to you. We only tell people to move away from the mic if they're going to burp, and that happens up <laughs> right. here. Do you have a beer? Uh, one, show? one thing leads to the other, right? Of course. So, uh, why don't you take a second and just sort of walk us through kind of the stops you've had along the way on uh, on your career? All right. Um, well, I mentioned uh, CFRA with Steve Lloyd, so that's where I started. Uh, initially, I, I went to McGill, got an English lit degree, wasn't sure then what I was doing. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, wow. Law school still appeals to me, but really? only law school. I don't actually want to do the work <laughs> Practice, or get up in court. Yeah. Um, I have a, a sister who practices law here in the city. And uh-huh. it's, it just sounds like a bummer. Does it? <laughs> like all the time. Well, She's like, oh, I met the worst person yesterday. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Criminal law? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be some stories. There. <laughs> well, she said that's almost easier because, like, she has friends in family law, and she's like, every single day you're hearing about kids and broken families. She's yeah. like, at least you can just go, whatever. I know this guy's a scumbag, and we'll we'll deal with it and carry on. It's, I mean, both of those areas are so so tough. I'm sure. And yeah, uh, need good people to do it. So yep. good on her. But uh, yeah, I, I love that part of reporting. Actually, the court 
the court cases I found really fascinating and, and always have and would still love to just do law school on as, you know, a retirement gig or something, but mm-hmm. who knows. But uh, but then uh, at McGill, I was writing for the paper a little bit and I thought, well, maybe this is something that could actually be a career and a thing because I, I love to write and I love to, I was pretty shy at the time, but I love to ask people questions about themselves and not have to talk about myself too much, <laughs> which is what you're making it's me do It's exactly <laughs> what's happening right now. Um, so yeah, so I went to Algonquin just kind of to try it, did the print journalism program, thought I might do a master's at Carleton, but I was just kind of see where I was. And uh, and then one of my instructors there was a wonderful man, Steve Winogron, who was our radio instructor. And when it came time to sort of figure out what we were going to do for internship, um, he said, uh, well, he said, I had a pretty good voice. I don't have a voice like you do. You have a voice that's absolutely made for radio. That's what they tell me. Face two. I had a bit of both, too. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he... I was contemplating doing something at the Citizen, and he's like, "If you if you come and do an internship at CFRA, I know for sure there's there's part time work at least." And this was in um, well a few years ago. This was in the '90s when we were being told left, right, and center. And I guess it hasn't changed very much that if you went the print route, you're probably going to end up in some some little community, and they'll be mm-hmm. sending you or you know your family will be sending you oranges to make sure <laughs> yes, you're eating right, exactly, because you're not going to be making much money. And that didn't sound too appealing. So the thought that there was a job at this station that I had listened to as a kid and uh, might actually get work there. And it's funny because I never really thought about people working in radio back at the time. Like that's a job. Like it's just a thing that you're listening right. to. Right. People show up and talk and it's in yeah. the background. And Yeah. But the first day that I walked into that radio newsroom and everyone was super nice, mm-hmm. but also really, really interesting and different and unique and storytellers and Hal Anthony worked there at the time. Uh, Steve Maidley. Uh, Michael O'Brien, these these guys who just had incredible stories and were irreverent and the, the whole newsroom atmosphere was just energetic and amazing. And I'm like, oh, this is really, really cool. And like <laughs> print is what I always thought I wanted to do. My my skill was my ability to write. Right. But this was kind of awesome. And they're even, even, you know, radio, TV, there's, there's a little bit of a a sort of a lift and being on air, right? Sure, and yeah. getting to, to talk to people that way and stuff. So I loved it right from the beginning. And and my main thing was, and it didn't obviously pay much for that first radio job, but I thought money or being really, really interested and passionate about what you do. Like, I don't want to be bored. Right. I do not want to be bored. No matter. So, because I had a chance to, I had a government job in the summer and it was a, you know, a four month job. And at the end they're like, oh, we could, give you full-time work and I'm like thank you very much but <laughs> Pass this. Um, no and so yeah the newsroom just I felt right at home I think it fit my personality and and loved it and and the great thing about starting off even though Steve Lloyd did not appreciate this <laughs> but the great thing about starting off in a radio newsroom as a reporter as general reporter is you got to do a little bit of everything which included covering court which I loved which included city hall which I didn't always love you know struggle sometimes you feel a lot of people are getting up and saying a lot of the same things (laughs) Um, but you go out and talk to real people about their their life situation and over those years in the 90s we had um, like the ice storm which was uh, just a crazy situation that affected so many of us as we were covering That was 98? That was 98 and it was pre-social media so radio was just a lifeline for a lot of people and it really really uh, really felt like you were having an impact in covering that which was pretty um, really made me feel like I was kind of doing something worthwhile. Well it's Um, funny how quickly 
we just had the the power outage here where I'm mm-hmm. where we're sitting and recording right now. We were out for nine or ten days after the last storm here, right? I think I might have been the last building in the city to get power back. Wow, yeah. And it's funny, like I'm digging through the top dresser drawer. I know I have a Walkman in here, right? That's going to pick up AM radio and tell me what's going to happen because I have no power. I have no internet. I have, I'm destroying the data plan on my cell phone, yeah. trying to scroll through Twitter and, and stream. You very quickly find yourself tuning right back into radio, yeah. just like it's 1998 all over again. Yeah. Going out to, you know, sit in the car, charging your yes. phone and then listening, <laughs> listening to the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was, and, and we also had a bit of a travel budget then. We did a few different things and, and uh, um, went down to Toronto for the end of the Paul Bernardo murder trial and some really interesting stories like that went to Montreal for the big uh, referendum vote oh, yeah. in 95 and worked quite a bit with, with Steve Madeley and his show, who's just, I think, a genius broadcaster. He was really incredible. So that was um, that was kind of my introduction. And then somewhat like Steve Lloyd, along the way, um, I started doing uh, sideline reporting for what was then the Rough Riders, our Ottawa CFL team, Mm -hmm. and love that as well. And that was sort of my introduction to the sports side of things and thinking this, there is a fast-paced energy about live sports broadcasts that I don't think can be sort of matched in anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can plan as much as you want for the broadcast, but then you're just going with the flow of the game and whatever happens and dealing with, you know, attitudes and personalities on the sidelines. You're kind of trying to find out who's injured and sort of figuring out who you can go up and talk to and and not is it's really sort of a dynamic thing happening on the sidelines that's sort of different from other sports, you Mm -hmm. know, covering hockey, you're not behind the bench. No, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was great. I really liked that. And that led to more, uh, more sports reporting and doing a little show on, on Rogers, um, called overtime on the senators and then eventually, uh, the score, the score gig, which was, which was wonderful. Is, uh, is the score the score yet? Or is it still headline sports at the time? I can't remember exactly. It was headline sports. Yeah. Yeah, It was headline sports when I started for a little bit and then we became the score. And so at that point, like I, I remember very clearly seeing you on the score and at the time we're talking about other names like Teresa Cruz and Sherry mm-hmm. Ford. Like there's not yeah. a lot of, of women in the industry doing what you guys were doing at that point. What at this point, it's still a battle, but we're seeing more and more women emerge in these fields on, you know, on sports broadcast, sports center, whatever you want to, uh, wherever you watch your sports. Was that a, you know, did you feel that that was starting to push forward? Was it a challenge at the time? Do you, do you feel you were treated differently doing the sports thing or like, how did um, it go for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel overall, like I was treated very, very well. Most of my experiences were very positive, but there was the odd, the odd thing when I actually went into the, the Rough Rider room the first time they hadn't had a female reporter in there for years. And I, I remember talking to Carolyn Waldo about this because she was doing sports at what is now CTV Ottawa, where I work mm-hmm. was then CJOH. But I don't think she was usually on the football assignment or she didn't have to go into the room. Maybe she talked to them outside. But I had to go into the room because I was setting up the equipment for the post-game interview with the coach that the guys up in the booth did with the coach. So it would have been, I'm trying to remember if that was still Dean Brown and Jeff Avery at the time or Dave Schreiber. No, I think it was Dave Schreiber that was doing it and Jeff Avery. Um, So I, 
the first time I went in there, one of the, and it's a smaller room than what it is now. And one of the guys, and I was like, keep your head down, go straight to the back where you have to sit up. <laughs> one of the guys looked up and shouted, lady in the house, lady in the And then everyone started sort of catcalling and whooping it up. And I'm walking through <laughs> like, oh, please ignore me. And, uh, and so we had a setup where it had always been when it was uh, other guys doing the setup with the microphone, which was kind of the back of the room, but kind of, kind of near the shower area. Uh. So a couple of games in, uh, someone came to me from the team and said, we're going to move you into the back <laughs> stairway, like outside the, the room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, the guys say they don't feel too comfortable because it's right by the showers, which if you're in the room itself, there's the option for guys to cover up if they want to or yeah. not if they are comfortable. And sure. I think now everyone's covered up. But back then, <laughs> not so much. Right. But if you're by the showers, they don't really have that option, right? They're going into the shower and yeah. you're there. And I'm... Looking the other way, but what I thought that was fair. I mean, sure. they should have the option. So, but it made it a bit awkward. Then you had to go through and do this different setup and pull the coach all the way back there. And then I, I think it got moved somewhere completely different after that. But that was sort of my introduction. And I remember when they pulled me aside and said, we're moving you because of this. As fair as that argument was at the time, I feel like, oh, God, I'm making people uncomfortable <laughs> just by being here and being me. And, and just by trying uh, to do my job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um so there was that. I had a, a you know a couple little things. I don't. Do you remember Don Matthews? I do. The yeah. The, At the, the, the all owls. over the place. The Argos, the Owls, the I think the Lions for a brief yeah. period. Yeah. So we were in a post game scrum one day, and I asked a question that was kind of a sort of a dumb question, but you're just trying to kick off the scrum because often whoever's holding the TV mic will ask the first question because they you want them looking straight at you sure, right yeah. for the for the clip and. And they were having a really good season. And I said something about, you know, are you, you going to win them all this year, coach, or something, something throwaway like that. And he just turned and looked at me and said, I guess that's the kind of question a girl would ask. Ooh. And I've heard those comments enough that I honestly, and I knew what he was like, and I really didn't think anything of it at the time, which shows you how much we have evolved. <sighs> but uh, a couple of the guys took issue. Guys, you'll know, I think Don Brennan and yeah. Dave Naylor who's still, right. and they both wrote about it. Wow. In, in the paper that Don Matthews was, had taken that shot. Um, yeah. yeah. And I thought, really? Is it is it that big a deal? It's funny. I was the, the one who, <laughs> who reacted the least to that. So you'd have that kind of thing a little bit because I was quite often the only woman in those situations, at least in this city. And there were a few across the country. It was also a good thing, I guess, in a way, because a lot of stations wanted, you know, saw that there were more females in, mm -hmm. in sports broadcasting and wanted to have that happen. So I actually had quite a few lovely job offers that I had to turn down because I was definitely based here and committed here, but it made you feel wanted at least, which sure. was sort of nice as things were starting to uh, to evolve at the time. So when you were doing that with headline sports as it moved into being the score, that was a, a, you know, a sticking point for you, or not, that's wording it terribly, but you wanted to stay here in Ottawa and, and mainly cover the city. Is that a fair? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to stay here. My husband had a, a job with, yep. you know, the senators and whatnot. And um, yeah, so we were very, very much grounded here at the time. So I, I, I know you end up with the Olympic Network briefly. And I got, man, I, I love talking about the Olympics. So I want to <laughs> ask you about that. But how do you move on from the score? And, and like, what's the path that leads you to CTV News? And where do we go from the score? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the score, I have to say, was great. It was an incredible work experience. I, I've had really good bosses. I've been really lucky and I had a wonderful boss at the score too, um, Anthony Ciccioni. Okay. Uh, and as a bureau, and I was back and forth, Ottawa and Montreal was our, 
are beat. Um, and they're based in Toronto, of course, mm-hmm. King, Street, King Street West. And you could feel very disconnected from the people you work for. But this this guy was very, very good at checking in and making us feel like we were a part of things and whatnot. And, and the lovely thing about the score, which was, was so awesome at the time, is that it was completely a sports highlight network. They were not carrying broadcasts, really right. just filling their time with the news nuggets and highlights. So you'd have, you know, a senator's playoff game and then you'd have all the time in the world to fill after. So the PR guys would just bring you player after player and you could talk to them <laughs> for five minutes each. There were none of these hard time limits because we were just filling this time. So you got to do a lot, which was really, really fun. And, and I love that. Um, so yeah, good years We've with them. We've had nothing but like Tim McAuliffe's been on, Elliot Friedman's yeah. been on, like everybody who we've had on who's ever worked there said they, it was like one of their favorite times of their careers. So El- Elliot Friedman, here's the reverse of the Steve Lloyd thing. Elliot Friedman trained me oh, okay. at the score yeah. and we were up for the same job at one point with Hockey Night in Canada and guess who got it? Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, all power to him. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, Elliot's a great guy. Yeah. I like him very much. Uh, he had been there for a while when I when I started, so I had to go to Toronto and meet up with him at Leafs games and and whatnot. And he kind of showed you the ropes. He showed a me bit. the ropes. Yeah. He showed me the ropes. That's yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So, well, the score, unfortunately, as things were changing and evolving, and they were trying to sort of find their foothold and started doing it more in the way of broadcast. So we did. Um, we had a lacrosse team here at one point, Rebel. Uh, so we we did yeah, those okay, broadcasts, yeah. and I hosted those. I hosted. Expos games the last year um, when we had the rights to those in English and there were 5,000 people at the games or whatever it was. <laughs> um, but then the as things were kind Rico of and... changing and then they went more to, uh, uh, I'm not sure what the word is for it, but anyway, the decision was made that all the bureau reporters were going to be let go. So we were all let go at the same time as they were evolving. It was okay at the time. I had had my third child pretty recently and I honestly thought, does it make sense to be working full time with three kids and two of them very young? Should I even be doing this? But I love the job, so right. I wasn't going to give it up. So I kind of thought maybe it was a kick in the pants to, you know, be more of a full time mom. Mm-hmm. I was doing, this is actually funny given the couple of years we've had, but I was doing pay per view sends games outside of that at the time. So that was continuing. So I still had that going. And then I, I, I had a few other things that, that I was doing. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Just for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I was still worked, and uh, as soon as I was, that job disappeared full time. I I was still doing freelance and continued to do freelance. And one of the things that came up pretty quickly was uh, was doing some freelance work for CTV Ottawa mm. and covering their sports when they had a full time sports person and they had a weekend sports person, and I'd cover off the weekend sports shifts or some of the weekday ones, and then eventually became the weekend sports anchor and then sports and weather on the weekends and then that changed and then I did the late night anchor job and then so kind of back on the news side and then um, and some reporting as well and then eventually in 2016 into the the six o'clock anchor job where we see you every night now yes yes. can you from a sports perspective and maybe I'll be off base and this is why I like asking these questions often I'm surprised by the answer but is there anything in your sports career bigger than the Vancouver 2010 Olympics that you covered? No. Yeah. No. Um, trying to think about that, probably not. I often think that the um, the two biggest sort of emotional moments in sports reporting for me were one happened in Montreal 
which was Saku Koivu's return to the ice that after battling cancer. And we went through a time then where we did not think that would happen. And that building, you know what yep. that building's like when it is loud and yep. it is energetic. And I remember being up in press row and watching him come on the ice and just feeling the tears yes, coming. <laughs> of course. Um, so that, Me too. And I hate the hats. <laughs> like it's hard yeah. not to get goosebumps yeah. thinking about that moment. Such a, a personal story. Yeah. Um, everything, Senators, playoff, cup run, Alfredson, all of those things related, all of those moments, wonderful. But then the other was um, at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. And I was not at the gold medal game, but I was doing the highlight pack back in the newsroom for the game because that's how it worked. We had a reporter there that was getting... The, the clips from players and then we were doing highlight packs that went out on the Olympic news channel that went goes out to countries all around the world and whatnot so I had done um, the main pack and then it was going into overtime and we had a British news director guy from the BBC and he he didn't know a whole lot about ice hockey no <laughs> so I, s- not. I said do I need to put a new pack out before overtime starts and he said no we're good so I, I was waiting and what and then as soon as overtime got started he's like oh yeah I think we need we need something new go voice so I'm actually in the voice booth as the goal is scored no! hear the screams come out to see it on TV and there was a bunch of like Swedes and stuff watching um, people from different countries so I heard the scream and I wasn't even completely sure was that <laughs> Canada Ooh, yeah right um, yeah. So then seeing that goal and then doing all the highlights, doing everything. And then when we left there that night and we're walking down the street and the streets are packed and everyone has these Canadian flags and the, the impromptu O Canada being sung and with a bunch of people from Europe. And one of them looked at me and said, oh, I thought it was Americans that were patriotic like this. I didn't know you Canadians were like this. And I said, we're never we're like not, this. I've no. never seen this before. <laughs> this is an incredible moment, and it was so good, and that will stay with me forever, for sure. That was the story of those games. I can remember Stephen Brunt doing one of his video documentaries on how it kind of got off to a weird start, and Canada was slow getting to a medal, but it gradually grew into this kind of chest-pounding yeah. thing. It's okay to to be proud of this, right, yeah. and to be happy about it. it it's. Um, I have this video, and I'll share the link in the show notes for everybody, that... Uh, it's, it's, I think the video is called the Iggy heard round the world because mm. in the background of the, the Crosby overtime winner, you can hear him yell Iggy! <laughs> as yeah. Ginla makes the pass to him. And it is the, the broadcast call from like 12 different countries. In all the languages, yes. right? Yeah. It's so much fun to yeah. listen to. And it is funny to listen to the BBC call because of course they don't care particularly about ice hockey in England. And it's just this British voice. It's taken Crosby to come to the party. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the whole country's losing their minds here in in Canada. It's, oh my goodness! So yeah. what is? Was that your whole gig in Vancouver? You were always in studio. Did you get out to see and cover I, some I events? I was always in studio work-wise, but we had passes to everything nice. at that game. So that changed so in later years. So um, I saw a lot of women's hockey actually, because yeah. the timing worked out, and that was amazing. Um, and they also. Uh, of course, won gold. Yes, that in was Vancouver, the, uh, so. the first ever, the coming out party for yeah, Marie Philippe Poulain. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Wickenheiser, of course, was so awesome always, there. Yes. Um, I saw speed skating for the first time, went out to the, the Richmond Oval there, and, yeah. and we saw some great, great stuff there, and met uh, Katrina LeMay Doan at oh, those awesome. games for the first time, yeah. which was really, really cool. 
Um, what else did we see? Well, you thought we were going to get to Whistler. We really hope. We thought for sure we're going for 30 days. We'll get one day off and we'll go up to Whistler. But that's not how the no. Olympics work. You don't, you don't get a day off. So that didn't happen. Figure skating, which was really cool. I was with some some people from uh, from England who had never seen it before. Um Maybe seen it on TV a little bit, but sure. never seen live figure skating. We've all been to shows here, I think. We Most of us have, uh, maybe not you, most of I us have been to the Canadian figure skating camp. <laughs> honestly, when it comes up at the Olympics, I do watch it on TV. Yes. I always go. Because this it's is, the Olympics. Yes. Yeah. And I have seen some worlds on TV and stuff, but I have never attended it live. So we w- went with, you know, sort of hardened sports fans and, you know, Brits that, that love their football, as in soccer and whatnot. And they were so blown away by how talented these people were on yeah. the ice and stuff. So it, that's kind of cool to see people reacting to Falling sports that they're with not it. familiar yes. with. There was a guy um, who's a, he does swim meets. He does broadcast for swim meets, primarily down in Florida. That's what he was doing at the time. And he was assigned to do figure skating <laughs> highlights up here. And he's trying to figure out all the terminology and right. stuff, which was great because everyone was doing a little bit of everything for this this 24-hour channel thing that we were putting together. <laughs> um, but all of it was good, right? Because There were so many stories. From yeah. Like Joanny Rochette. I yeah. remember her, the bronze medalist. And I, I that was the main reason I watched figure skating from those Olympics was because you know, for people who don't remember that name, she had lost her mother her mom, just yeah. like a week or two before yeah. the games and still managed to come out and get a bronze medal. Um, that was a teary moment, too, at the course. end of that as she finished her routine. Yeah. The Anlam brothers in speed skating, uh, kind of making their name. Everybody remembers um, John Montgomery and the beer pitcher walking through the Olympic uh, after winning his skeleton gold medal. Like, there was just something every night. Yeah. and. It was so much fun. It was in the time zone. Like there's something these last couple Olympics where it's the middle of the night. It's hard to right. stay engaged and it, yeah. it was so much fun. And, and as you say, it sort of started it started a bit rough. Well, what I learned, that was the first Olympics that I went to. And I learned that in most, when you get to the Olympic host city, they are typically people are so sick of hearing about it. They're sick of the preparation. They're sick of the construction. You get into Traffic. a cab. They're like, no one, yeah. no one wants this here. And then as soon as the games start. Yeah. Everyone gets swept up in it. There's just something absolutely unique. And working in a broadcast center at the Olympics is an amazing, amazing experience because you have newsrooms from these countries all around the world and these people who are, you're all kind of kind of working together and crossing paths, but each country is represented and you'll, you'll just be working away in the newsroom. I remember this in London one day, we were working in the newsroom and you hear screaming down the hall and it's... Koreans watching handball or something right. something like that and, and something amazing is going on that's totally off your radar yeah. that you're not paying attention to but you kind of walk by and they turn out of the room and everyone's like yeah this is amazing <laughs> and you sort of feel like you're at the epicenter like all eyes are on the Olympics at of that course. time and you're in the middle of it so that is really cool and one of the coolest things that happened at the Olympic Broadcast Center in Vancouver was the night of the opening ceremony and we had a, a we got to go to pretty well any event we could fit in with our schedule in Vancouver, but there was a limited number of tickets for the opening ceremony and they did a draw. So we were all jealous of the people that <laughs> got those and went off and were back working. Yes. And uh, it became time for the torch lighting. And Wayne Gretzky was the guy who was going to mm-hmm. light the torch. And suddenly he gets into a truck, His pickup truck and he's driving along and we're watching. And there's this moment of realization when we're like, he's coming here. Like that's that 
thing that's outside our building. And we all run outside and we're right there as Wayne Gretzky lights the torch. There was no barricade yet because no one knew this that's was happening. Right, yeah, like it got okay. barricaded off yes, later. Yeah. So we were right there for that moment. And that was that's amazing. Wild. That Can, kind of felt like winning the lottery. Yeah, like, figuring wow. it out on TV. <laughs> They're coming right this way. Yeah, that's yeah, why. That's great. Because that was such a... You know, again, like in that self-deprecating Canadian way, we had those four arms. We Canadians, we can't just choose one person. We have a tie for four that yep. we want to light the, <laughs> the, and one of them doesn't work. And then we're putting Wayne in the back of a pickup in the rain and sending him down the road. Crazy, You're just like, right? This is that, oh, it was rain. That's why my hair is so bad in those pictures. <laughs> it was. I have rained. awful, awful pictures standing outside that torch. <laughs> I look like I've been working for twenty days already. <laughs> Go figure. It rained in Vancouver. I can't believe it. But uh, I have pictures with Tony Ambrosio. Do you know him? Yeah, from uh, also from the score. From the score. Uh, yeah. yeah, great guy. Yeah, Ellie's done a lot of different things, but uh, but I worked a couple of Olympic games with so him. So you also, yeah, you did London and Rio. Yes. Um, Yep. Got up on the wall here, the number seven jersey, my friend Amy Burke. She's a Paralympic. Was that oh. Paralympian was at both of those games, obviously, for the Paralympics. Nice. But, uh, I wanted to stay each year for the Paralympics after, but the, you know, of course, there's a bit of a break. Yeah, and then course, and, and when you have young kids, it's hard too. to sell. Yes. I'm going to be away for two months yes, instead of one. <laughs> exactly. And the coverage does tend to dry up a little bit, but uh, that's just kind of how it goes. That's a whole other gripe we don't have to get into yeah, it's tonight. A, it's a good gripe, though. And the, the so the organization that I work for, though, the coverage with them that they put out around the world is... It's pretty good. It's quite a quite a team. There's they usually about it, at least yeah. half of us, half of the group that would stay on for the Paralympics each time. So yeah. pretty significant coverage, as it should be. Yeah, my beef is more with the major networks here who all kind of yeah. send their people home and, uh, I get and that's that. the yeah. end of it. So yeah. anyway, we don't have to get bogged down on that. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit, you know, now that you're working in the uh, in the news thing here locally, and you've mentioned some of the stories you've, you've covered here, the ice storm obviously being a big one, but it's been kind of a loud year in Ottawa. We did just have... What? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we had the, the big storm here recently that left half the city without power for quite a while. Um, we Best saw the, May long weekend ever, eh? <laughs> Honestly. It was good until Saturday <laughs> yeah, exactly. at three or something. <laughs> I can remember uh, on the Saturday afternoon when it blew through, um, I texted a buddy of mine who only lives a couple blocks away. He's like, we're barbecuing burgers. Come on over. Because obviously here in this condo building, there was Nothing happened. No lights, no power, and you're not allowed to barbecue. So I went over there, and at the time, a Hydro Ottawa website said, yeah, it'll be back on about 10 p.m. I'm like, all right, no problem. So I came home and used what little battery power I had in my devices to record a podcast, because what else do I got to do, right? I'm just sitting around in the dark, and I woke up in the morning, and I'm seeing the first pictures from Merivale Road. And like, oh, no, this isn't going to be a quick fix. <laughs> like, yeah. this was oh. not a wise use of my resources. That was so. that was unbelievable to me on Merivale Road, the destruction that was, yeah, that was done like there. Yeah, like a block and a half from here, right? It was right. the ground yeah. zero. So Yeah, so uh, that's why you were the last. I guess so, yeah. And... Um, but at, back in January, we had the the truck convoy that settled in for. What for, was that? Well, I didn't. I didn't notice that. What no, was, what was that, that? Wasn't a thing. <laughs> what didn't make the news here in Ottawa? No, I. I just wonder, you know, what are some of the the biggest things? I, I guess if I've already referenced them, then that's that. But yeah, that you've covered in your career that kind of really stand out as like I, I didn't really ever see that landing on my radar. Hmm, it's interesting, you know. Uh, for some reason, I go right away from some of those big news events, and I think about some of the stuff that we've done um, with families at Chio and mm-hmm. whatnot, and um, how emotional I and impactful too. it is when you sit down in a room with with someone who's lost a child, but they're they're willing yeah. to share their story. They want to talk about Chio and the care they receive there, and and 
heap their praises, do what they can, you know, pre-telethon or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And despite having gone through one of the most horrible things a family can go through, and yet they'll sit down and share their story with you, and you feel very, you know, it, it feels like a huge responsibility, and you feel almost honored that someone will open up with you about about those kinds of things. So some of those families kind of run yeah. through my mind um, straight away. The flooding that we saw when 2017 it was mm-hmm. oh once in a hundred years we're going to get this kind of flooding and going and talking to people who are protecting their homes out in in Cumberland and and in Gatineau and then two years later going back to those same families yep. and, and in some cases we'd done stories the year in between about the rebuild and how everything was so much better and it's great and then go, going back to those families that are seeing it happen all over again and going through this unbelievable heartache all over again. That was really, um, that was tough. And, you know, we were out, we did a lot of live coverage and we were out, we put the hip waders on and we got out in the floodwaters and stuff. It was kind of surreal to see what people were yeah. dealing with. It, flooding is a slow tragedy. It's not like it happens, it hits and it's gone. You you watch painfully as the waters creep up and you think maybe you're going to save your house and it looks okay one night and then the next day you come in and everything. Yeah. It's it's awful to watch people struggle with that. Right. Yeah. And these terms like once in a lifetime, we don't, I don't think we get to keep throwing those around. Like we live in a very different world now than we did and we can argue all day on whether man is to blame for it, all that stuff. I, I have my opinions. I think the jury's back on that, but yeah, there's no doubt. We've done some damage, I'm pretty right. sure. There's yeah. no doubt anymore that you know, the storm of the century now comes around every couple of years, the flood of the century, whatever it's going to be. Um, it's here now. Extreme heat. All of it. We're seeing in Europe right now. And yeah. yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And I, I wonder, you know, maybe the, the, I certainly understand why those would stand out to you more than maybe the ones I suggested, but, uh, some of the ones that really stand out to me are the ones where it doesn't look like your city anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, I watched that, that truck convoy oh, and went, this is surreal, right? Yeah. Like that. I, I walk up that street all the time. I've been there a thousand times, whether it's Canada days or stumbling out of the Highlander on a Friday night mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And it's not supposed to look like this. And same with, you know, we had the, the tornado there a couple of years ago. Um, and you recognize some of these scenes, as you said, with the flooding, um, it's, it's, it's weird when the big story across Canada lands in a very recognizable place to you. Like yes. it kind of puts you in a different mindset. It, it, yeah. You still feel far from it, but it's like right over there. I mean, there there have been a couple of those and, and certainly the convoy was one and we work right downtown. We work in the market. I, I walk everywhere downtown day, night. I, I feel fine mm-hmm. out there and, and through the especially that first weekend of the convoy when we didn't know it was going to be like that I yeah. think and I was I was walking through it in the evening and I remember having this moment where and I, I always think I'm pretty tough and street smart and I don't let too much intimidate me but at the same time you're a woman mm-hmm. and you think certain things that maybe you don't even realize you're thinking so as I was walking through this crowd I had this moment where I thought it's all men Mm-hmm. It's all men, and a lot of them had been drinking at that point in the yep. night. And you have this sort of subconscious thing where you sort of look around and you look, oh, there's a couple, or there's a couple of women over there, um, and that would be your your sort of safe exit route. To sure. And I'm looking around, and there's none of that. It's just men. It's just groups of men who are quite drunk. And I was wearing, at that time, 
partly just to stay warm. I wore my mask everywhere, right, through yep. the winter outside. And so I made the conscious decision to take my mask off and put it in my pocket because you don't want to stand out as yep. being someone who's... Um, and that was a weird feeling to walk through just a crowd in a neighborhood that you're very comfortable and familiar with typically and feel really intimidated and feel like you're kind of changing your own behavior and feel like you're really For relieved when you get through it. Yes. And yeah, that was that was a bit surreal that that was my Ottawa and where was the police presence that would have made you feel a whole lot safer in that yeah, situation. We weren't it was yet, pretty limited at that point. We weren't yet at the point where they were trying to put the friendly face of the bouncy castle and the whatever else on it yet. It was very much meant to be menacing and intimidating. And I mean, I think a lot of people were, were you know, there for the part. And certainly during the day, the yeah. first weekend, there were a lot of people with good intentions, a yep. lot of families uh, who, you know, were frustrated and, and did feel that this was, was about freedom and fighting restriction in some way. But then, of course, it... It took a turn, turn and yes. yeah, you can analyze that a million different ways. But but yeah, it was hard to recognize Ottawa for what it was. And it was really, really sad to see Ottawa getting international news conference uh, coverage because of that. Right? I was down at my parents' place in the Kawarthas on the weekend that they decided that's it. We're clearing it out. And that was the one that to me, you know, you've been watching this for weeks and it kind of... I wasn't one of the poor people who lived down there having to deal with the horns and whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm far enough away. Uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. um, it was what it was, but when they went to clean it out and you weren't sure how that was going to go, um, I was at my parents' place and we had an iPad set up on uh, the kitchen counter and my dad and I just stood there staring at this iPad for hours as they went through it. Because you're almost wondering, what is this going to become? How is this going to go? Is there going to be a clash? And I've watched those a thousand times, right? From Ferguson, Missouri, or way over another, you know. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, uh, back to what was it, the, the G7 in Toronto? When that one got really bad, like a decade ago, was it the G12? or I can't, There was one in Toronto that got very violent and, and wasn't good when the cops came in to clear that out. And I just, I kept having to shake my head and go, I... <laughs> That's the Rito Center, right? Like that's, yeah. it, it was so strange to just, and it was hard to take your eyes off of. Yeah, it was so strange that the Rito Center would close down yeah. for a day, so unusual. And then it was closed for what, three and, weeks? And coming off on the heels of everything's been closed forever and uh, half the reason yeah. they were supposed to be here yeah. was for. Very, very sad for, for the businesses and people people downtown, certainly who were, were pretty traumatized by it. And uh, anyway, I. I know everyone out there has different opinions sure, on, on yeah. just what happened and who's to blame and how it should have been handled. But it, it has been interesting in talking to people after talking to one friend who lived very close to that area and her saying, you know, they saw some some little minor stuff happen on their street a couple of times and not related to convoy necessarily, but just the feeling that we're not even going to bother to call police because right. we know there's there's no one free to respond to this because they're dealing, they're yeah. so tied up with everything else. And that feeling that you're in Ottawa in a Canadian city and you don't really feel like you have someone to call if there's, you know, if there was a break-in at your house or whatever. She said that made her feel really, really vulnerable and she had always felt safe living in that neighborhood um, for years and years. So, you know, Things are destabilized. Yeah, Give, gave us a sense of what it's like not to live yes. in the best city in the best country in the world for, for just a little bit. I think that's true. Um, one of the things I wonder around that and, and just in general, we're seeing hostility build in a big way towards journalists. And 
unfortunately, it's a lot more female journalists that are wearing that than, than men. And, and men are getting it too, but not anywhere near as bad as women. And I wonder, is that different when you're working at a municipal station and you're focused, you, you cover everything, but isn't necessarily constantly on the national figures? Like, mm-hmm. are you taking a beating online? Are your colleagues getting it? Or, or I mean, I think everyone is to some extent, you know, the keyboard warriors, everyone feels much more comfortable being critical when they can do it, you know, somewhat anonymously or yeah. um, behind a screen and whatnot. But overall, I feel like there is a warmth in the community and the way we're perceived and, and embraced even by a lot of our, our viewers who are really, really wonderful. The The hate that we felt during the convoy was really unique in my experience. A lot of what came at us, and there was a lot that came at us, just a barrage of email and, and tweets and whatnot. By far, the large part of it was from people who have probably never watched our right. newscast. Not specific critique, just you're the media, you're awful, you're going to burn, yeah. you, you don't tell the right story. But if you then challenged them, if you were out and said, what are you referring to? What in our story is incorrect? Whose story? Whose report? Well, just the media. The yep. media generally yeah. is just this sort of hate thing that I, th- I think was guy. sparked initially by what we saw happen in the States mm-hmm. a few years ago. I shouldn't say sparked, but sort of revealed Built. or given a license for. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, there's a lot, a lot of that out there. And I don't know how we how we move away from that to some kind of civility and... Well, sort of rational critique because bring on the criticism if it's well-founded and based on, on something we have done wrong, absolutely, or something we got wrong. But uh, that sort of general hatred is it's a scary and unnerving thing. I struggle with this a lot as sort of a media nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are better off with the more journalistic outlets, the better, right? Mm-hmm. The more people asking questions, poking at things. I think in general, that's a good thing. But I also feel like, you know, a couple decades ago when we were all watching the same four or five news broadcasts with largely respected newsmen, whether they be American or Canadian. And then we came to the water cooler with the same facts. And you and I may have different opinions on those facts and what we take away from those uh, stories might be very different, but at least we're all coming from you know, the same set of facts that we can now, and now that we're all coming with our own facts, right? We've all decided I get my news from over here and I get, you know, you get yours from over there. And I don't know how you ever now repair that gap or how you have a a legitimate debate, right? Like we've all spoken to someone at different times. Oh, we get our news from different places. And you're Mm -hmm. like, well... Well, well, it's not my, a good my, place to be. My kids even, you know, will say, oh, I read this or I heard this. And I said, well, where did you read it? Yeah. Where did, are you getting it from a credible source? Are you double checking it? Are you verifying it? You hear mm-hmm. my, my, my son sent me something the other day. Oh, did you see that Biden said this? And I said, this is from two years ago. And he's like, oh, the way it was put out, it looked yes. like it was from today. It's not. Like you have to do a little bit of tracking and research to make sure that you are getting your information from a credible source. And I hope mainstream media still has an excellent role to play But like there, asking people you know? to dig in and understand that mm-hmm. is hard, right? Like most people just sit down and watch the six o'clock news and... Which is a good thing. Of course, especially <laughs> at six o'clock Please on CTV <laughs> here in Ottawa, right? Yeah. It, it, but it's to ask people who 
are just sort of generally taking it in as they go to go, no, you should actually then go and double check that and make sure that's coming from a reputable place. And then you and I disagree on what a reputable place is. And I don't know. It, it, I just, I don't know how we're going to get by this and how we're ever going to get to, like things seem so broken and divided right now. And we're not even coming to the same places to try and resolve that discussion. I, yeah, well, just to, just to have a discussion, right? Just to be uh, accepting and tolerant of different opinions, open-minded, um, ready to allow yourself to hear the other side. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being told that constantly as a, as a kid by my parents. There are two sides to every story. And anytime I'd come home with some little complaint at school or something, and you just want your parents to take your side. Yes, just, of course. But But... Was there something that you said that created that or what was happening? No, and then Mom, you'd have to talk right. it through. Right. And and there is always another side and we need to be open to hearing that and potentially changing our opinion on on, on it. But there are also facts that are scientific yes. that are, are proven and researched and until someone's going to get into a, a lab or, a, you know... Um, so yeah, it's an, we got it's lots of people out there time. doing it's their own research time. right now. Yeah, and in theory that's great, but maybe you're not qualified for all yeah. research. Anyway, but we we try our best certainly to sort through it certainly. And, and talk to the right people and um, and uh, bring you different perspectives and whatnot. And I hope people appreciate that, of course. But as you mentioned earlier, community, local. You know, we're not out there doing the investigative uh, <laughs> work into whatever. Uh, like we all agree the the. The O train needs to work better, right? Like that's not a highly political issue. It's, I mean, it's political in that the politicians are the ones who paid for it and whatever. But both the liberals and conservatives in Ottawa would like to know that the train's going to work tomorrow when we try to get yeah, downtown. Right? I think like, all the uh, all the commuters in Ottawa would love to know that it's going to work tomorrow, and they're not going to be packed onto replacement buses <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, what a. What a, what a sad situation there. A lightning strike? Come on. Yeah, honestly, on. this has to work, right? <laughs> it doesn't no work in winter. It doesn't work luck. in lightning. It doesn't, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a thing. One of the things I wanted to ask you before we wrap up here is where does the world of sport meet the world of news? And one of the big stories that has happened here in the last several months was the passing of Eugene Melnick, who owned the Ottawa Senators. And he had made a lot of news over the last several years in, uh, certainly for senators fans, but also in trying to get a deal done initially at Le Breton flats for a new arena. I think there was another location at one point that was maybe by the racetrack or something several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has passed away and that is a monumental figure in the city of Ottawa, both in terms of developments that may pop up around wherever his new arena was going to be built. And now that's happening without him. Is there a point where like in your newsroom, how do you sit down and go, that's something for the sports department or no, nah, this is a little bigger this time. We're, we need to pull this out and, and make this more of a main, uh, main broadcast. Story. Yeah. Oh, well, it's interesting. We don't really have a sports department anymore. Our sort of philosophy and, you know, when everyone can get their scores on an app and whatnot, is that you're not doing sort of that basic stuff, but you are doing the type of sports stories that could be news or that make news or the breakthrough. That's certainly a big one that breaks through and is a news. When when I was a sports reporter, I loved doing the newsy stuff. And a lot of that was with Rod Bryden, the former owner at the time, and some of what he was trying to make happen and kept um, meeting hurdles and stuff along the way. 
But yeah, Eugene Melnick, a divisive figure, obviously, but uh, stepped in and and saved this team at a time when they desperately needed desperately needed a buyer. Put on that big Eagles concert for all the, yes. the season ticket holders, and we all went out and celebrated at <laughs> what was what the Palladium then Corral Center. <laughs> it's had a few names over um, the years, yeah. In my opinion, this rink always should have been built right from the get go downtown or somewhere central at Le Breton Flats, a piece of land that has sat empty for years and years and years. Um, it was well, a shame that the Bryden had to build that interchange and, and yes. hockey way out in Canada, although it's been good for, for Canada and the Stittsville area, of course, yeah. and some wonderful hockey has been played there. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's um, going against my role as a neutral <laughs> anchor to say I'm a huge Sens fan. Right. I have loved this team. And would love it to be more accessible to people in both Ottawa and in Gatineau. And if you could jump on the LRT and get to a stadium built at the Breton Flats, that would be an absolutely wonderful thing. And I think this team is going to be very successful over the next few years. We're seeing some wonderful steps in the right direction. And uh, it would be nice if in five or six, maybe we could all gather at the Breton Flats and watch this team do some amazing things. So I I certainly hope that 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 can happen. Not all. As you look around this studio, some of us uh, prefer the blue and white brand of hockey. All of but, you uh, out there who have decent tastes in <laughs> hockey teams, and I don't hate anyone in this world, I want to say, but I do hate one team. And that's, that's as a media person trying to stay somewhat yeah. neutral through triple overtime before the Leafs once again beat the Ottawa Senators in the playoffs cannot stand them <laughs> i get them this is the opinion of most people who come in here to uh to talk i grew up in the gta i have an excuse you're, you're legit my yeah. dad's a leafs fan so a boy i like him um, a lot there are, plus there are he's into the south so he and there, i can have a good conversation there there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah i i wonder you know and, and you've already touched on it a bit like it should have been done from the beginning to have put it closer to downtown do you think you know what kind of difference both for the hockey team and just the city in general, does a new arena, because it does now appear that's back on track. They will get something built for the Senators at Le Breton I don't Flats. think any of us will believe it until we see it, but I yeah, until on track. There, <laughs> until there are walls up and yeah. ice laid down. But even just for concerts and, you know, the mm-hmm. city in general, what kind of impact is that going to have well, on well, the downtown Well, look at Lansdowne, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, are you a, a I am a Red fan? Blacks fan. Okay. I, I jumped on that when that, I moved good, up here. Good. I was um, like, this is new. I'd like to get on board and, and help build that. And it's yeah. kind of painful right now. I kind of wish I'd have stuck with the Argos. Love the Red Blacks. So, uh, I mean, I'm a big hockey fan. I love tennis. Um, but football was the one sport that I kind of grew up actually going to games. I right. didn't go to my first NHL game until a game in Montreal when I was 18. But as a kid, we went to Rough Rider games. And of course, I mentioned that that was my first sports job was on the sidelines there. Yep. Have always loved going to, to games at Lansdowne. Very, very sad uh, in those years in between when there was no football here. Mm-hmm. It was nice when I worked for the score because I, I used to work one day a week in the summer, just go down and cover the Owls one day and I didn't have <laughs> another team to worry gig. about here. Yeah. But um, I still have my J.C. Watts jersey and quarterback 1981 <laughs> here in Ottawa. And it's an amazing place to go it watch is. a game. It's a beautiful stadium and, and the fact that there's restaurants and you make the plan to meet your friends for drinks mm-hmm. after and the They've whole an experience awesome of it and even people who are not sports fans and I have a lot of friends who are not huge football fans but they're still happy to go to a game and still enjoy that experience and if we can have that translated to uh, a Le Breton Flats site for a hockey team and have that sort of experience where it's close and it's a couple of quick LRT stops to just about anywhere mm-hmm. you need to be and there's restaurants there and there's 
activity and how can that not be a good thing for the city? People coming to Ottawa, right? Tourists who are staying yep. downtown. You know, when you go to Toronto and even though I hate the team, I'll happily go see a Leafs game at ACC in sure. the middle of things. Raptors are right there. The no Jays better right place than the Bell Center to see a yeah, game. You get yeah. off the train and you're right there. And I love that rink. Yep. I'm a converted Habs fan. I, I grew up a Habs fan. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, great tourist draw. I, I took my son to Boston um, Easter weekend this year. My friend was running in the marathon. I didn't watch her because mm. I had to come back a day early for work. But we did. Uh, we went to a Sens game. Uh, we went to uh, see the Red Sox play at Fenway. Happened to be the home opener at the time. Nice. It just worked out beautifully. And, you know, everything's right there, right yeah. downtown. And that would just be a lovely thing to have here in Ottawa. So. Well, like even for somebody like me who's not a Senators fan, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if the Penguins roll in and Crosby's here, mm-hmm. am I going all the way out to Canada for a game I don't really care about? Probably see, I still not. Go, but <laughs> yeah, of course. But if it's six minutes away at LeBreton Flats and it's just a Tuesday night and I got nothing else, going, yeah, I might, right? Like, it's just in that very general sense for the team. It's so much closer to so many more people. Yeah, why not? I'll go down to the game tonight. Whereas you got to make it a plan to go out to Canada. And I like the rink, honestly, like I do. I, I think uh, out in Canada, it's... It's far, but once you're there, it's mm-hmm. fun. I think they do a nice job. I think the game presentation is is good. I, I like the building. I, I grew up a Leaf fan. When you go down there, it was crammed into a very small piece of property. It was initially supposed to be just for the Raptors, and then at the last minute, the Leafs were like, oh, our plans fell through, bought the Raptors so they could have the building. And the concourses are small, right? And it, it's a small footprint. When you go out in Canada, because it was built at the time in the middle of a cornfield, that's roomy right you got, you got, <laughs> you got space. Elbow yeah, yeah you can carry two beers to your seats if you need you to have to and... pay big money for your parking but yeah <laughs> yeah exactly whereas if once it's here yeah i don't know there's a concert i don't really care about but it's something to do yeah all right i'll go over the like i said crosby's in town yeah or mcdavid whatever i'll, I'll go check that i out. like that you mentioned if crosby's in town so i I, over the years, have, have taken one kid or the other to, to games and whatnot because we always had season tickets and um, my husband was working the game. So yeah. um, my son is a huge hockey fan. The girls have sometimes been into it, sometimes not. Sure. And I had my younger daughter and she must have been five years old, I'll say maybe. And we're in the car and we're going out to the game and I'm always trying to find reasons to get them excited and into it beyond the popcorn and the cotton candy. <laughs> so I'm telling her, you're getting to see... Sidney Crosby. Right. This guy is one of the best players in the world. You should see his legs. They're this big. Yes. You know? And he's he's fast on the ice and he's going to be really exciting to watch. He wears number 87. Uh, that's the year he was born. Um, is that true? I think so. Yep. Um, <laughs> August 7th, 87. And, uh, and so I'm selling it and she's and she's really smart kid. You know, if I do say so, and she's asking great questions and she's invested and I've got her on board and she's hyped and we sit down in the seats and they go through the player introductions and she turns to me and she says, he doesn't even play for Ottawa. (laughs) (laughs) You sold me on this guy and he plays for the the other team. (laughs) Oh, did I not mention that part of it? Well, we went through something very similar this year with my niece, who, God love her, she could not possibly care less about hockey, other than <laughs> the fact that she knows Uncle Matt loves hockey. And so does her grandma, like my mother, obviously. And so my mom's getting her all psyched all fall for all the best Canadian players are going to play together. And she mentions Crosby. And she men- mentions McDavid. And my niece is genuinely trying to get excited for these Olympics. 
And then at like whatever it is, December, the NHL is like, by the way, we're not going to the Olympics. And so now mm. it's, I don't know, my mom stopped caring. I couldn't imagine her trying to convince my niece to keep caring. And frankly, at four in the morning, do I really care about the European guys that are over there, the European league guys over there for Canada? If I'm up, I'll watch. I'm not getting yeah, up for this like same, I would have. Yeah. And so the poor kid, she's like tried so hard to get excited for her poor Uncle Matt. And then it's like, yeah, I don't care. Like nobody cares. You don't have to care. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good effort though, right? Yeah. No, she tried really hard. And, uh, and even when it is on and I'm at home, she it, it, it's more to her up to like, at seven o'clock on a Saturday, she knows Uncle Matt wants to leave the dinner table to go watch the Leaf game. <laughs> and so she'll turn and say to my like, can Uncle Matt and I go watch the hockey Aww. game? She's not watching. She just, <laughs> that's the excuse to get away yep. from the table. That's right? all right. So she's, she's using oh, you. She's that shrewd. It's brilliant. <laughs> she gets us both out of there. It's great. So yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, uh, it's kind of fun. But yeah, a new arena in the downtown core, I... I going to be huge, I think, for this city, even in terms of being able to attract some concerts where, you know, the, the promoters know you're right in the downtown core now, as opposed to kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, um, it's true. It makes it an easier sell for, yeah. for people to come to Ottawa and have that kind of facility and everything that could happen with it. And it is, I believe, two LRT stops from where I work. So I love the idea of just being able to leave my car, yes. <laughs> jump on there, go to a game and come right it's back. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making some time and, and coming in here. This has been so much fun for me. I've wanted to have you on for a while. Like I said, it took a bit of a kick in the butt from some of your colleagues who said, uh, no, this is not going to be a problem. You should reach out. She'll please, please never hesitate. This was this was a pleasure. And it sounds like I'm going to ask you to put in a word with uh, with Graham down uh, your co-host. Maybe he's somebody that, uh, you know, with his craft beer and uh, and tragically hip fandom. This <laughs> I will put in a good word. I will absolutely do that. That's awesome. <laughs> Patricia Bull, CTV News at six o'clock. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. And uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Talk and Audio. Make sure you give us a follow there and uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you're hearing us right now. Episode 1000 coming at you on Monday, August 8th. So stay tuned for that as well. Until next time, my name's Matt Robinson and we will see you all later. There's only so much time we can kill here Before we start to spin Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app and find us on social media at Tall Can Audio.